First Corinthians chapter number 11, if you'll grab your Bible and join me there as we look ahead to observing the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, which we'll do so at the end of this service. And as I always like to do, kind of gear the message towards that with that in view. So we'll look at First Corinthians chapter number 11 and this passage that deals with um, the Lord's Supper, observing it. The message or the title of the message this evening is Put Them in Remembrance. And so we'll go ahead and get that up, Brother Jim. You'll get that uh, PowerPoint up. That'd be great. Thank you so much. First Corinthians chapter number 11. We'll look here in just a moment at a verse, but encourage you about that and uh, excited about observing the Lord's Supper this evening. There was a brother and a sister uh, who went to church for a service, not unlike a Sunday night that we hear, have here at Fostoria Baptist Church. Uh, their parents were part of the choir, and as such, as even we have here, they got to sit in the pew alone. While mom and dad were singing up in the choir as the service began and uh, uh, continued on, uh, the two children sat there. The, the young lady, the little girl, the sister was about eight years old. The, the brother was just a little bit over four years old. Well, as that service began and it continued on, the little boy just continued to giggle. He continued to laugh. He, he continued to fidget. He continued to talk and things like that. Point came where uh, the older sister, being the older sibling and, and uh, maybe a little bossy, she looked at her little brother. She said, you better, you, you better knock that off. You better stop. And as it sometimes gets into the heart of a sin-nature-led, misbehaving little boy, he said, who's going to stop me? At that time, she turned around and with a pointing finger, she looked towards the back of the auditorium. And she said, you see those two men back there? They're hushers. <laughs> and that's what they're going to do to you. They'll stop you. Yeah, he straightened up right away. I jokingly sometimes call our ushers hushers. So if you need it, parents, use it. Amen. And... Uh, you know what, I think it demonstrates something that's very true for us and many people who come to church is that sometimes we miss what's really going on. We, we miss the point of something. We miss why it's there. And I think sometimes that is the case even here with the, the Lord's Supper. In other words, we do something, we participate in something without really thinking about and meditate upon what it is truly designed to do. Christ said about the Lord's Supper, it's his words, Paul reiterates them to us, but he made this statement. This do in remembrance of me. And he said that as, your sa as our Savior, your Savior, no doubt. He, he said that as the Redeemer, the, the Lamb of God slain on the cross of Calvary. There's no doubt of that. But he also said it as the God of all creation. So here tonight, we are certainly remembering our Savior. There is no doubt of that. But in remembering our Savior, let's be reminded we remember our God. And so it was that he challenged us in it. Look at verse 24, if you will. Let's just remind ourselves, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. And here's what he said, This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, The cup is in the New Testament, uh, in my blood, or is the New Testament in my blood, and this do ye as oft as ye drink it. And again, he, he makes these words, In remembrance of me. Now, I find it interesting that uh, the Lord said this is what the Lord's Supper is all about, remembering, being put in remembrance uh, of what he did, certainly, but who God is. 
It's also interesting, as you study the New Testament, we find that phrase many times over. I would say in the New Testament alone, it's around 12 times, a dozen times, that we are told, put them in remembrance, bring them into remembrance. I, I write these things to bring you into remembrance. One of the, the, the best occurrences is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, he said, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. Notice what he, how he puts it. In both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance. Now it means it, it, it communicates something that the remembrance is supposed to stir something up within us. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the points I like or one of the reasons I like observing the Lord's Supper because it stirs something up within me. It causes me to reflect on certainly what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary, but it also stirs me up to reflect on what a great God we serve. And what I have in him, as we'll see tonight, some of those things that we're supposed to bring back to remembrance, who God is, what he's done for me, how that I owe him everything. And so I, there's another verse, Jude chapter 1, verse 5, this is another, he says this, I, I, I will therefore put you in remembrance. And he goes on to explain about God's gifts and God's things that he's just bringing us into remembrance. Now, there's something to be said here and to be drawn from this truth. These many instructions about putting believers in remembrance. It must mean, and it must be, that God in heaven knew this. There would be a real tendency among God's people to forget. To forget Him. To forget His teachings. To forget His blessings. To, to forget that we owe Him everything. Uh, to forget His doings and acting on our behalf. Seems like that's probably, certainly, a lot of the reason He inspired these new testament believers and say i want to put you in remembrance i want to remind you i, I need you to reflect you, you need to remember what god has done what where you stand in christ and, and certainly the old testament <laughs> the old testament is a loud testimony to the fact that's exactly what happens with god's people isn't it Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verses 10 through 12. Notice what it says. God speaking to the, uh, the nation of Israel. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not. Uh, excuse me. Um, and then in wells dig, let me go on there, which thou digs not, diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then notice this statement, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You and I know it well. Our children gathered here this evening. They could tell us, did Israel forget or did they not forget? Oh, they forgot. In worshiping idols, they, they forgot about God. In uh, uh, heeding their own desires and their own flesh, they forgot the law of God. They forgot His manifold blessings. They forgot all that God had done for them. In fact, not only did they forget His goodness, but they forgot His warnings. Repeated often, hey, don't do this. When you get in the land, don't give your children to the, those other nations. Don't go after false idols. Don't do this. And they literally forgot those things. And so it does us well to even be reminded this evening that we need to be brought to remembrance. Now, listen, what is the Lord's Supper? Well, honestly, it's just a form, an ordinance given us for a form of worship. Do you realize that one of the reasons that worship is so crucial in our churches and in our lives is this simple fact? 
Worship of the Lord keeps Him in the forefront of our lives, our minds, and our hearts. So worship of God. That's why when we come to church, it isn't just... Now, this is crucial for us to make sure we understand because there is, there is some fashionable trends in Christendom today that are kind of getting away from true worship. And what we turn church into is just an instructional manual for how to make your life better. Listen to me. Uh, If we come to church, and if we only learn how we ought to live, that's not true church. See, true church is about celebrating and worshiping the worthiness of God exalting him and remembering how great a god we serve how he is worthy to be lived for do we come to church to learn according to scriptures how we ought to live yes but that is in context of realizing that god is worthy to be lived for he is worthy to be worshiped and so worship is this reminder a constant reminder keeping god where he belongs that's why i love it i i, I, I sometimes i wonder if we ought to do it every month the, the lord's supper because it helps us to keep jesus christ in the forefront of our minds and our hearts and our lives challenging us to keep him there a church without worship has missed the point it's missed the point but it happens more than just at church See, every bit and every form of worship is there to help you and I keep Jesus Christ in the forefront. For instance, okay, um, so very simple. We, we pray for our food. The scriptures speak of praying for our food. But can I tell you, praying for your food before a meal is a form of worship. It is. It's exalting and glorifying a God that gave you a table to eat it on, that gave you a house to eat it within, and put the food on the table for you. And it's recognizing that and worshiping him for who he is and what a great God he is. It's a form of worship. You take every other little part of our lives, whether it be family devotions or private devotions, that's a form of worship. Witnessing is a form of worship. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, are forms of worship. All these actions and many others help to keep Christ where he belongs, in the forefront of our lives. But sadly... This is one of the areas in which our country has failed tremendously over the past 30 to 40 years. We have not worshipped God. And subsequently, we must say the, true is, the same is true of many Christians' lives and within their homes and families. See, what happens is this. We limit or quantify worship just to Sunday. And God never intended it that way. He intended your life and my life to be a continual worshiping life. In other words, everything we do from prayer, from, from actions, from witnessing, everything about our life that is part of the, what we might call Christian duty and the reality of living for God is supposed to be a form of worshiping God. And as we worship God daily, day by day, many times during the day, what do we do? We keep Jesus Christ where he ought to be in the forefront. We remind ourselves, I am not living for me. I'm living for him because he is worthy to be lived for. He is the God of all creation. 
And so every ounce and every little bit of worship. But here's what has happened. In America, and yea, in some of our Christian lives, and our Christian homes, and even some of our churches, we have limited and quantified worship just to a Sunday morning service. And friend, worship is not just for Sunday. It's for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's worship. In every instance of worship, whether it be a Lord's Supper, whether it be when you bow your head this evening, when you go home to eat food, tomorrow morning when you wake up and you read your Bible or you spend a moment in prayer, those times of worship are putting God right back where He belongs in the forefront or confirming His spot in your life in the forefront of all that we do. In each of those instances, what are we doing? What's happening to us? Every time you and I worship, we're brought into remembrance. We're reflecting and remembering where God belongs. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 100. Unusual psalm, maybe, to think about when we're dealing with the Lord's Supper. But Psalm chapter 100, and uh, just five small verses, often used around Thanksgiving or something like that. Let's look at this, uh, not in-depthly tonight, but just cursory as we consider this passage in light of doing the Lord's Supper in remembrance of me. Look at verse 1. You probably know it. Many of our children could probably quote it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That's an indicator of Him feeding us meeting our needs, taking care of us. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. Immediately, you know what we see in Psalm 100, verse number 1, we see a call to worship, a call to worship God. In fact, it is a call that is issued to all lands. Did you catch that? Verse number 1, all ye lands. We're not talking just about a Christian nation. We're not talking just about Israel. But the call is to every nation, every people group, to recognize and remember God for who He is. He is the Creator. He is the giver of life. He is the Redeemer, the refuge of all that will turn to Him. He is the great and mighty Judge. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. We are called to worship Him. And it matters not if the nation describes itself as communist, democratic, however the description may be. Can I tell you, Psalm chapter 100 calls all men everywhere to come and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is worthy of it. He deserves it. You know, sadly though, you know what we see? We see that the world is on a mission to forget God. The world is on a mission to forget God, to not remember Him. I mean, well, we know it. We see it all around us. We see the reality of what the world is, ha- what's happening and, and the moves that are taking place. And yet you and I are called to answer that call, and we are to bring Him into remembrance. We're to answer this call of worship and worship Him on a daily basis, individually, but also bring back our nation, our churches, our homes, our families to the point of where we worship Him in a way that He deserves. You know, the fact is simply this, and you would certainly attest to it, 
the America or America, United States of America, is racing to join the rest of the world in forgetting God. Just this week, many of you already know it, but just this week in our wonderful Senate, many of the Democrats were pushing forward to try to remove any reference to God in the oaths that are taken before the committees. They just want to remove it. Let's remove uh, before God. And so help me, God. Let's just take it completely out. We know that's happened many times before, and yet it continues to happen. I like uh, reading this week a book by Ken Ham, and he talks about the the up-and-coming generations, how we're going to reach them with the gospel. And one of his statements was that there is a new language being used today. And there's it's true, and his statement was this. Uh, it is not the same world. It is not the same United states that many of you and i we we grew up in it's changed things have changed dramatically in fact in the knowledge of who god is in fact i like one of the illustrations both he and many others have used it the fact is this no longer as we talk to people can we reason of god and the bible in a common sense morality found in the bible One of the illustrations that, again, he uses and many others have used before is just past year when Billy Graham passed away. You know, the world is not the same as it was when Billy Graham had his crusades. Things have changed dramatically. The United States have changed dramatically. You know, in Billy Graham's day, America sat and they listened in these crusades. They turned on the television. And you will even hear unbelievers talk about in their home how people turned on the television to watch this guy give a very basic, simple plan of salvation. And they listened. They listened. America. Americans. Not not just churchgoers, but others. I like how one pundit one speaking head what he said how he described it he made this statement when graham died he said there will never be another billy graham because the world that made him possible is lost that is a very powerful yet astute observation it has changed see put it in context when Billy Graham spoke in a stadium, or it was, uh, which is amazing, could, could you imagine today being able to have an independent fundamental pastor or someone just preaching the gospel on television and the nation kind of stopping and listening? <laughs> Turning that on, whether it be prime time, whether it be a Saturday, or whatever the case may be. I mean, that's unfathomable today. We're not talking about, we're not talking about this spiritual or this uh, Christian station, you know, station 249. We're talking one of the main stations. Now, what's amazing about that is this, and here's the truth of it. See, when Billy Graham stood up and he talked about God, most of America knew what God he was talking about. We're not there today. We've come a long way. See, when he spoke about God and how God sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross, and as we celebrate this evening, when he spoke of the reality of a creator wanting to be reconciled to their, his creation, when he said, hey, come forth, because you're going to have to stand before God, and what will you answer him in that day? Every single person or the majority of those people understood that he was talking about the God of the Bible and the God of heaven. And so there was a foundation upon which he was putting them in remembrance of God. Hey, remember him, your creator? Remember the God you heard about in Sunday school? 
Remember, remember the God that you heard preached and taught about in church that you left? Remember the God your grandmother spoke about and read her Bible from to you? And much of America was being reminded of God, of the God of the Bible through him. You know, the fact is this though. People can't be reminded or brought in remembrance of God today because they just don't know it. There's some people who you'll mention God to, and they'll ask you if you mean the Hindu God, the Mormon God, the Jehovah's Witness God, the, this God or that God or the New Age God or whatever the case may be. They, they don't have a recollection. Boy, has America come a long way. You know, the fact is this. Though with that being said, there are some in America who need to be brought into remembrance of who God is. And if they don't know who God is, you and I have the wonderful joy of introducing them to the God of heaven, the God of the Bible. One of the interesting statistics that Ken Ham alluded to was this. They put out a survey a couple years ago, uh, maybe 2017, actually, or 2015, maybe. And uh, they were they were uh, polling millennials, those who were born up until 2002, I believe it was, and, and so forth, and, and uh, 84 to 2002, and uh, in others, too. Here, here's an interesting thing. I was sharing with Brother Ron Ruby um, this week. The, the statistics said this. Uh, of those who are 60 years old or whatever, I believe it's around 60 years, um, there's 20 to 22% who grew up in church but no longer attend church. Now, that was a higher percentage than I would have guessed, to be honest with you. But 60 on upward, there was about 20 to 22% that left the church, that were in it at one point left. Then the percentage when it came to millennials was 53%. 53%. One and two, a little over that. You see, my friends, there's a lot of folks in America that need to be brought into remembrance of who God is. And the rest of them who have no clue, who've never been in church, who, who've never read the Bible, who've never understood who the God of the Bible is, they need to come to a knowledge of who God is. In a sense, they need to be brought into remembrance of their Creator. In fact, that's what verse 3 says. Isn't it? Notice verse 3 again. We read it. He says this, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, not we ourselves, not evolution. We didn't come from something. It is He that hath made us. I I, I read an interesting, I think I shared it maybe in Sunday school or somewhere. If I shared it in a service, forgive me. Um, New theory of evolution, right? That they now it came to be that uh, a planet hit uh, hit, uh, the earth. That planet had what was needed for life. Part of the planet broke off, became the moon, and life started here on the earth. We're just, we're, we're really stretching, aren't we? We're really stretching. And I don't know who came up with that. Maybe a referee in an NFC championship game. Anyway, uh, can't see much. Uh, I don't get it. I, I'm telling you, it's amazing. And then we, we do everything, we come up with everything we can to forget God. I mean, that's really what it is, isn't it? We come up with different thoughts and different ideas, different explanations of life and everything else, and we try to forget God. Hey, don't be mistaken. It is God who said that life is valuable. Therefore, if man's going to rebel against God, life becomes no longer valuable and abortion is okay. We embrace that. So everything we see happen in the world tells us, wow, we are forgetting God and they need to be brought into remembrance of this truth, introduced to it. Know ye 
that he is God. He is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. To challenge for you and I. He made us. We are his people, his creation. Revival will only come when you and I are in constant remembrance of our great God and our Savior. If the lands of this earth, particularly if in America, if they're going to fulfill this verse, verse number one, that's going to happen. You and I must be diligent in bringing them into remembrance of God through our lives. And if we're going to bring America into remembrance of who God is, can I tell you, you and I have to be daily reminded of who God is, living in remembrance of Jesus Christ, remembrance of our God. Verse 1, if you look at it, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Verse 2 says, Come before His presence with singing. Verse 3 reminds us of all that we have and all that we are. It's because of Him. You know, as you and I sit here this evening, we sing about Him. You and I are going to heaven someday because we've been saved through Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have daily grace, sufficient grace for life. You have direction. You have purpose. You have abundant joy. You have blessings beyond degree. And we owe it all to Him. You know what David's saying? Wow, we have so much. We ought to shout to the Lord with joy. We ought to praise Him. We ought to sing unto Him. We ought to have such a spirit about us that we are reminded, we are brought into remembrance. I am nothing apart from God. And boy, look how blessed I am. Look how good I have it. And it's all because of Him. Literally, what is David saying? He's saying this. We, we ought to, uh, excuse me, I'm backed up. We ought to get excited about all that God has done for us thus far in our lives. The youngest child here to the oldest saint here. We ought to get excited about everything that God has done for us. And how does he describe it? Make a joyful noise in the Lord. Come before his presence with singing. Praise him. Glorify him. You know, we need to be put in remembrance of just how good he has been to us. And really, that's what the Lord's Supper is about even tonight. We ought to reflect. Man, I, the Lord, he is God. It's He that's made us, both physically and spiritually. Everything that I have is a testament, a testament of who God is. I like this. There was a, a famous writer, an author, and someone was in his study, his office, and they noticed up on his wall he had an unusual picture hanging there. It was a picture of a turtle up on the top of a fence, fo uh, a fence post. They looked at it, looked at him, and he asked, they asked him, why, why in the world do you have such an unusual picture? I mean, here it is framed and everything. Why do you have such a picture in your office? Here was his answer. He simply said this, every time I write something significant, every time I read my words and I think, oh, wow, those are wonderful. And they, he begins to feel proud. And he said, I feel proud of myself. I look at the turtle on top of the fence post and I remember this. He didn't get there on his own. He had to have help. And I'll tell you, my friend, that's a good reminder, isn't it? You know, every day, you and I ought to remember that turtle on the fence post. What we have and what we are, we owe it to no one but our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave it all to us. And the moment you start to think you are something, 
The moment you start to think you've worked so very hard for everything and you deserve it and you and I, we, we are who we are because of uh, just hard work and boy, we're, we, we earned it and deserved it. Let's just picture ourselves as that turtle up on the fence post. And let's just be reminded, I owe it all to Him. All to Him I owe. And the best of it is what we celebrate tonight is the reality that He has saved us. You see, every time that you and I worship God, every time we realize how good we have it, it ought to put us in remembrance of God. A time of worshiping Him. Look at verse 4. Read it again. I love this. He says, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Here's a good recipe. We don't have much time left. Let me just give it to you quickly. Here's a good recipe for you and I as we enter into a church service to worship Him. A time of the Lord's Supper. Whatever the occasion of worship is, we ought to enter into it, whether it be our devotions. We ought to take a few moments to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords and to do so by remembering these things. Notice it. David gives us a great description in these verses how we ought to enter into uh, to worship here's how you ought to enter into worship number one you ought to do it with thanksgiving giving of thanks paul paul reiterates it certainly and many other new testament authors does but you ought to enter a worship service with thanksgiving it's one of the ways in fact in my own life when we're going through the lord's supper and observing it my own uh, personal communication with the lord i love to start out with just thanking him for who he is. And honestly, any time of worship, we ought, we ought to have some form of thanksgiving. And then he says this, obviously, there's got to be praise in there. See, thanksgiving is, is giving thanks for what he has done and what he has given you. Praise, I like to describe it as this. You are merely telling God that he is worthy. That he is the greatest. It's praise. Father, you are awesome. You are gracious you are merciful you're long-suffering now I, I am reminded often what paul writes he said speaking of sinners that he was the chief you know what i'm reminded daily man that god would love a sinner such as i and he'd care enough to allow christ to die on a cross and that christ would as we saw this morning would be touched with the feeling of our infirmities man who am i what a great god we serve that's just praising him. And then number three, what does David said? He said this, bless his name. Bless his name. Just bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. Praise him. Bless him for what he has done in your life and so forth. Now listen, some of us, when we come on a Sunday morning, when we open our Bible and personal devotions, we, we don't... We may not have the feeling. We may not be in the proper mood for worship. We may not have the right attitude in our hearts. It's been a tough day. It's been a tough morning on a Sunday or a Sunday afternoon. And, and uh, it's been a difficult day. You know what's funny? I'll just give you. Here's how it can be a difficult afternoon for you. Okay? Coming to church, my family and I, we got stuck in our driveway tonight. I got stuck on Wednesday coming to church. You think the devil doesn't want us to church? I don't know. We got stuck tonight. Can you believe that? in ice now it's I, I was joking with the sunday school before we had the big storm now we've had the big melt off melt off now we're in the ice age once again <laughs> yeah. my driveway is testament to that fact 
hey, listen to me. There are things that can happen, and you and I can get to church, and boy, we're just so disheveled, and, and mom, you're, yeah, you, you're trying to usher the kids out to, to school or whatever, and boy, you're just, uh, you're kind of on edge. We're not in the proper mood. We open our Bible. We get to church, and we're not really in the best of moods to worship God. I like what David says. Listen, you, you got to give thanks. You got to praise. You got to bless his name. If you aren't in the proper attitude, he says, listen, here's a great way to get in a worshipful attitude. Look at verse number five. Notice what he says. He says this, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. If you take a few moments and every time you say, okay, this is an opportunity to worship God, whether it's bowing in prayer to thank God for his food, you ought to start thinking in your mind before you even start praying, you ought to think this, my God is good. He's good. The Lord is good. And you ought to remind yourself that my goodness, his mercy is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. And I sure am thankful for this. Though America has forgotten God in many ways, can I tell you, His truth endureth to all generations. Millennials, Generation Z, my friend, God's truth is still God's truth today. And they just need to hear about it. And we can be reminded of how good God is, and it helps to put us in that worshipful attitude and spirit. Those things alone ought to move us to give thanks, to praise Him, and to bless His name. I love this little, this little chapter because it's a great reminder that when we are talking about worship, whether it be a Lord's Supper or some other mode or means of worship, these things are true. God is good. His mercy does, or is everlasting, and His truth does endure to all generations. See, then our worship, our worship and our thankfulness, our praise for Him ought to come out in our words and our actions. I leave you with a simple story. There's a missionary, his name was Roland Allen. He was a pioneer missionary himself, but he spoke about a, a, veteran, a veteran missionary who came up to him one day after he had delivered a sermon. The missionary introduced himself and said simply something to this effect. He said, I was a medical missionary in India. He served in a region where, uh, because of the poor health habits and other things, there was a progressive blindness. In other words, people were born with healthy vision, but there was something in that area, whether you want to say the weather or, uh, or the water, whatever the case it was, there was something in that area that caused people to lose their sight as they grew up, as they matured. But this missionary had some medical background. And in that, he had developed a process which could arrest the progressive blindness. So the people there of India would come to him, and he performed his operation, and they would leave realizing that if that operation had not taken place, that they would have become blind. But now, they get to return home to be able to see for the rest of their lives. Obviously, that would be something you'd be very thankful for. But he said this, they never said thank you. Not one of them. The reason for that was because that word or that phrase did not exist in their dialect, their language. Instead, they said a simple word. And the simple word meant this, I will tell your name. I will tell your name. So wherever they went, they would tell the name of the missionary that had cured their blindness. 
They had received something so wonderful that they eagerly proclaimed it. And so these people, people of India in this region, moved by thanksgiving and praise, they were committed to what? Telling His name. Can I tell you, I think the best way for you and I to thank our good God, our great Savior, is this simple. You and I keep ourselves and each other in remembrance of Him. And then we commit to Him that I will tell your name. That in a world that has forgotten God, I will tell your name. In a generation that did not grow up in church, I will tell your name. In a community that has turned their back on you, I I will tell your name. In a nation that has kicked your Bible and prayer to you out of our classes and our schools, I will proclaim and tell your name. In a nation that does not value life like you want us to, I will tell your name. In an America that has long left its moral moorings, I will tell your name. Why do we observe the Lord's Supper? Why do we gather to worship three times a week here together and in our own homes daily? Because worship keeps Jesus Christ in His proper place. And if you and I will worship Him daily as we ought, we can't help but to tell His name to others. And my friend, what America needs is a revival in which God is remembered. But let it start in our hearts. Let it start in our church. Let it start in our homes and in our families. May we worship Him tonight and every day that follows, and in doing so, may we put Him in the forefront of our thoughts and our minds, our hearts and our lives. And then may we go out from this place and into the world, and may you and I tell His name.